Good morning. Good to see all you guys. There is a business consultant named Jim Rohn who says that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That your behaviors, your attitudes, your outlooks are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Now that either delights or depresses you depending on who's in your life, right? And you're probably all like evaluating that right now. But there's a lot of truth in that. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. Because if you hang out with people who are positive and faith-filled and have good relationships with friends and family, well, that's going to rub off on you. And it's going to be a little more likely that you'll be that way as well. But if you hang out with folks who are negative and miserable, then that's going to rub off on you. And there's all kinds of studies that back this up. For instance, one showed that people are more likely to jaywalk if they see someone else doing it first. And that they're even more likely to jaywalk if the original jaywalker is dressed as a rich person. Isn't that interesting? Man, we are just all lemmings, aren't we? So if we want to grow as people, then our closest relationships need to be with people who can influence us in positive ways and give us, you know, good advice when we need it. Someone on Facebook recently posted a test answer from a high school student. And the question was, how does atmospheric nitrogen help archaeologists determine the age of bones? Student wrote, I have to be honest, I didn't study this, and I didn't pay attention in class because I really don't care about this. But I do like you, Mr. J, so I have a question for you. There's this girl who I know thinks I'm cute, but I don't know how to start a conversation. I was wondering if you have any ideas. Thanks, Mr. J. The teacher wrote on the test, impress her by talking about how atmospheric nitrogen can be used to date bones. (laughs) Works for me every time. Student needed some good advice, needed some good influence, as do we all. Now, I I want to make an important caveat before I go any further. What I am not saying in this sermon, I am not saying that we as Christians should just band together in some kind of holy huddle. And and that, that kind of protectionist attitude is too prevalent among Christians today, in my opinion. You know, sort of we four and no more. Let's build the walls higher to protect ourselves from the culture out there. A mighty fortress is our church. No, 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 no. We called this sermon series Gather and Scatter for a reason. We gather to encourage each other, cheer each other on, so that, we can be, so that we can then be carriers of a healthier culture out to our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our schools, and so that we can build good community wherever we go. We are called to engage the world, not hide away from it. But sometimes we Christians, and I put myself squarely in this category, sometimes we Christians don't engage the culture, we mimic the culture. And the reality is, celebrities are teaching us every day how to live, and we're following their lead. But is that a good thing? That's a rhetorical question, the answer to which should be very easy. (laughs) G.K. Chesterton said this, fallacies do not cease to be fallacies because they become fashions. Good one, G.K. And while our culture has some great stuff in it, it also has some unhealthy things too, doesn't it? A high divorce rate, the stress we experience trying to keep up with the Joneses, impress people with our titles and our resumes and salaries. We don't love our spouses the way the Bible says, do we love our spouses the way celebrities do? I told this story a while back, and I want to tell it again because I think it makes a great point about a woman I know who was with some other women all in their late 30s, and they were talking about how they fear growing older because our culture's standards of beauty is young, thin, all of that. So my friend said, let's promise each other that we will grow old gracefully together. We'll exercise, stay healthy, sure, but let's encourage each other in what really matters. 
So instead of saying, man, that dress makes you look five years younger, let's, let's, let's affirm each other for our character. Cheer each other on to be the best wives and, 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 and mothers that we can be. Let's have fun together in ways that don't involve looks or money. That way this group could be a place where we are free from all the cultural pressure that nobody can meet anyway. To a one of them, they all said, no, we just want to look younger, thank you. <laughs> now, do you hear the kind of the death in that story? But do you hear the promise of life in it as well? That Christian community can be this place where we are free of the stress our culture puts on us by forming an alternate culture here that we then take out to the world out there. A place where we get encouraged and cheered on to live in ways that bring life and joy. You see, because you may be just one community away from changing your future. One community away from changing your life. Because God always designed us to be in relationship. That's how we get changed. Because he himself is a relationship between Father, Spirit, and Son. That's what the doctrine of the Trinity boils down to, guys. God is a relationship. And he works relationally. When he came to save us, he didn't preach a sermon at us. He came himself in the person of Jesus to relate to us. And we kind of miss this in our culture. Because you know, we tend to read the Bible very individualistically rather than as a community. You know, we hear a verse like, you are the salt of the earth, and we think that's meant for us personally, which it is, but the New Testament was written actually to communities of people to be read out loud in groups. So the you in most of those verses is plural, which we miss because we don't have second person plural in English, like lots of languages do, except if you're from the South and you have y'all, right? Or the emphatic form, all y'all, or in New Jersey, use guys. <laughs> most of the New Testament is written to use guys. Right? All y'all are the salt of the earth. You guys are the light of the world. And there's a really great reason for this emphasis on community because we do not become like Jesus by just hearing sermons. We become like Jesus two ways. First, him working on us personally through the power of his Holy Spirit, but also as he works on us through each other. It takes a village to fix us, as it turns out. And again, tons of data backs this up. Just one example a 2009 study of folks who suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder found that 88% of those who were in group therapy no longer had PTSD versus just 31% who were in one-on-one -on -one therapy. In order to live more joyful lives, have better relationships, be less stressed out trying to meet the demands of our culture, we need Jesus and we need each other. But that's the problem, isn't it? Because community is just getting lost in our culture all over the place. I mean, just, just think, for instance, what the invention of the attached garage and garage door opener has meant for our culture, right? Like, now you never have to wave to your neighbor again. Just drive into your bat cave all by yourself. Or the answering machine. It used to be that to find out who was calling, this was radical, you had to pick up the phone, right? Wow, imagine that, right? And now one of the most frequent lies ever told is we can't come to the phone right now. Oh, far out. You're watching ESPN and you know it, right? I'm one of those. One of the most frequently tweeted words in 2013 was selfie. Like even the name, right? Like what does that say about our culture, right? Now we don't even need others to take our picture. We can do it ourselves. But we do need each other to grow, Without a doubt, the most helpful thing in my growth as a person has absolutely been the long-term relationships in my life. Without a doubt. They've encouraged me. They've, they've cheered me on to be more the man I want to be. We've had fun together. And yes, yes, there are risks to community. We will get hurt, guaranteed. We will be disappointed, guaranteed. But that's better than loneliness 
and a lack of growth. And the passage we read today gives us some clues, three I'm going to talk about, of what a life-changing community actually looks like. Let me just list three of them. First, a life-changing community is one where there are people in our lives who have refrigerator rights. And here's what I mean by that. I mentioned last Sunday that we had friends visit us last weekend from the Bay Area. And yes, our friendship did manage to survive the game. Though it was kind of interesting at the end. Yay, we won. Sorry about that. But yay, we won, right? All my sympathies go out to you. I've known this guy for 20 years. He was here with a woman who's hopefully soon going to be his wife. He and I built a college ministry together in California. We've done tons of fun things together, rock climbing, ski trips, all kinds of stuff. When he and I have struggled with career choices over the years, we've talked it through, asked each other questions. He's encouraged me to be a better husband and father. We've done life together. So when he came last weekend, he just walked into our house, sat down, started talking, didn't knock. Next day, we had a mutual friend over who lives here and who we've known just as long. And this friend and his wife came over as well. And they, they didn't knock. They just walked into the door. If they were hungry, went up, got something to eat in our refrigerator. Now, if I walked into your house and did that, it'd be rude, right? Except you couldn't say anything because I'm the pastor. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, give him what he wants. Maybe he'll go away soon. I don't just do... But with my friends, we've spent so much time together, right? They have refrigerator rights, See, we don't get changed unless we're doing life together. You know, you don't grow a plant by dipping it in dirt once a month. You can't build a friendship that way either, just a little bit at a time. And church isn't just about going to church. It was always meant, from Jesus on, to be also about one anothering. Are there folks in your life who have refrigerator rights? Second characteristic of life-changing community is flawed people, because we all are. But in Christian community, we accept each other just as we are, not as we should be. But we also don't just leave each other there. We also encourage each other to grow and become the people that we can be. My old church used to have have a mission statement that said, nobody's perfect, everybody's welcome, anything is possible. That's a good statement for a life-changing community. Last spring, we did a bunch of baptisms for our middle schoolers. And I, and I rarely do baptisms because of our overlapping services. It makes it complicated. But I was doing one that day in this service. Some of you are going to remember this moment. But because I don't do them often, I sometimes make mistakes. And I got my wires crossed with the mom, and I thought someone was going to be reading a life first. But when I asked, they, you know, I asked they hadn't actually planned on reading a life first. But instead of moving on like a thinking pastor would do, no, 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 no. I prolonged the moment, right? So in front of all of you, right, I said, are you sure you don't have a life first? And they're like, no, we don't have a life first. And, and then I cited some verse, right? I just spouted off some verse. was the wrong verse, right? Just delayed. Very awkward. The kids just like, just baptize me, right? Well, later that day, they had a brunch to celebrate, and my family and I were invited over, and there was some kidding at my expense. And at one point, someone started talking about the baptisms and said, oh, and Lars, he's another pastor here, Lars did this great job of baptism at the 11 o'clock service, to which this kid's mom said, oh, Lars was doing the baptisms today? Oh, oh, too bad. Ow! But actually, I knew what she was doing. Their kidding was as a way of saying, just lighten up, Scott. He's still baptized. It's going to be okay. Just don't take it so seriously, which was helpful because that night I was still so embarrassed that I couldn't sleep. Sometimes this happens to me, and at one point I'm thinking about it, and I made this involuntary sound. I just kind of went, oh, right, which I sometimes do, and my wife said, yeah, it was bad. And then this week when I asked the mom if I could tell this story, she said, oh, sure, go ahead. And she's currently pregnant, and so she joked with me. She said, but I am going to get a different pastor to baptize this kid. (laughs) Her joking, their joking is a way of saying it's okay. Lighten up. Let it go, right? 
which is helpful. We accept each other in our flaws. And as Christian community, we should be able to do this better than anybody because of Jesus. He is in our midst, helping us love each other. We see each other through him. Passage we read today begins by saying, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And then it talks about community. See, the foundation of community is that what we do is we extend to one another the grace, the acceptance, the forgiveness that we already have in Jesus because he paid the price for our sins. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's welcome. Anything is possible. Which brings me to the third characteristic of life-changing community, and that is we need to form a dropout club. And here's what I mean. A place where we can encourage one another to drop out of the unhealthy parts of our culture and live into the healthy parts of Jesus' culture that brings life and joy. The passage says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. In other words, let's be that alternate culture together and then take that healthier culture out there into the world. And the word consider is a very intentional verb. Do you have people who are intentionally thinking about how they can help you grow, intentionally thinking how they can encourage you and cheer you on to live a better kind of way, a Jesus kind of way? Because here's the thing. The culture is giving us advice on how to live every single day. We get advice. But is it good advice? Someone sent me something called Why Men Don't Write Advice Columns. A woman named Sheila writes this. Dear John, the other day on my way home from work, my car stalled. I couldn't figure out how to fix it, so I was near my boyfriend's house, so I walked there to get him to help me with my car. But when I arrived, he was with another woman. When I asked him about it, he was very evasive. We've been dating for a while, and I thought things were going well, but now I'm wondering if he's going to break up with me for her. Can you help? Here's John's answer. Dear Sheila, a car stalling can be caused by many issues. Check there's no debris in the fuel line. If it's not that, it's probably the fuel pump. Hope that helps. We get weird advice all the time from our culture, from people around us, but is it good? Are we being spurred on to the right kind of action, the action that we need? When our kids were still toddlers, I remember my wife and I already feeling the pressure that we put on kids in our culture to sign them up for everything and make sure they get perfect grades, you know, so that they can go to Harvard, the Stanford of the East Coast, and perfectly acceptable fallback school if you have to go, right? And, and, and my wife said, I want to form a dropout club. Not that we would drop out totally, but just get a group of people together who are encouraging our kids to choose between many good things rather than try to do it all because that's a life skill they're going to need. And if, you, if we do that together, we'll feel less like bad parents for doing it in this culture. Well, now my oldest daughter is a freshman in high school, so now I'm learning all about the world of proms and school dances and all that, but only on a theoretical level because she's not allowed to date until she's 35, but it's just great theory, right? So much pressure, oh my goodness, around, around something that's supposed to be fun. Guys ask girls out in elaborate ways, complete with roses and expensive gifts. Then you got to rent the limo, wear a tux, eat at a four-star restaurant. It would be easy to drop $1,000 or more on a prom. That is a ton of pressure, Man, in eastern Washington, where I grew up, it was, hey, you want to go to the prom? Great, meet you at Taco Bell. What? <laughs> That's how we rolled, and it was better. <laughs> now, it's good to make things special, absolutely, but does a limo make it special, or is it the people you're with? So what if we were in a group, and all your kids were friends, and so when they went to prom, they, they'd go as a group together and decide, let's not drop a grand in one night. 
Now, your kid can't do that alone. They'll feel like a weirdo, but what if they went as a group? Not to withdraw from the world, but it would probably even give other people permission who also don't want to spend $1,000 on a prom night not to do it. And they just feel like they have to because everyone else is doing it. We could affect the culture in a healthy way. So form a dropout club so that when you decide not to buy a bigger house or remodel the kitchen to keep up with the Joneses and the culture makes you feel like you're a loser for doing it, your dropout club cheers you on and says, way to go, we're proud of you. And when you don't do every activity that you possibly could do, they cheer you on and say, yay, you're not doing something. Go not do something else, right? What if when a marriage gets hard, you had people around to pray for you and encourage you, listen to you, point you to good counselors, encourage you to love each other the way the Bible says to? What if you, when you were trying to figure out whether to take a new job or not, you had folks around you to ask you questions like, what's going to make you the better man or the better woman instead of just how much does it pay? What if instead of spending hours in front of the television, we turned it off once in a while and had someone over for coffee or for dinner? What if instead of talking about our successes all the time, we need to talk about them sometimes, but instead of just focusing on our successes, which just makes people feel like they have to compete, what if we asked each other questions, got to know each other at a deeper, deeper level, so that whether we succeed or fail, we feel loved and accepted? What if we serve together in ways that help heal the world, as so many of you do, through things like auto angels or teaching Sunday school or tutoring or all kinds of things. Tons of ways to do that. Talk to our Get Connected people. All my deepest friendships, without exception, all my deepest friendships have been forged by serving side by side with someone. You see, if we aim to get community and friends, we could miss it. Community is actually a byproduct of doing life together, of serving together. I heard a story from my former church about a guy named Jason. And he and his wife wanted to get more involved, so they asked a pastor about being in a, in a small group. And the pastor said, yeah, that's good, but what if you didn't just focus on yourselves, but you also had a mission? And Jason said, well, that's interesting. You know, come to think of it, I've had a heart for China ever since my undergraduate days, way back in 2003. Way back in 2003. Kind of cocky, don't you think? So four couples got together, all of whom had a heart for China, either because they started a business there or lived there or, or, or something, and they do a lot of dinners together. And they cheer each other on and resisting the pressures of Silicon Valley to always buy that bigger house and sign the kids up for a million things to do. Encourage each other to love their spouses the way the Bible says to do. Became so devoted to each other that Jason and his wife actually moved from where they were living to a different house so they, they could be closer to the others in the group. Jason said, these couples are now my family. Well, then they realized that at Stanford, there were a lot of visiting scholars from China who would come over for a year or two and then, and then, and then go back. And nobody was reaching out to them. So on Thanksgiving, they had about 65 of these visiting scholars over to their houses for a meal. And now they're doing this thing called soul food family. Soul, because it's about the spiritual life. Food, because they eat together. Family, because now these Chinese scholars have a place to go. And then they got their church to, to buy some Chinese-English Bibles so they could read the Bible together. And now these visiting scholars no longer feel alone. They feel like they have a family, a community. And think of the positive stories they're going to tell when they go back to China about those American Christians. And now Jason and his wife and, and these other couples have a whole new life. Really good friends who encourage them. They have refrigerator rights. They feel accepted no matter what? They're doing things that are fun together, and it's not just about them. They're also serving together in ways that heal the world. 
And because of that, they feel just a little less pressure to keep up with everybody else, just a little less pressure to perform and achieve. They got folks who encourage them in their careers, in their spiritual life, in their marriages, and all kinds of other benefits. So how about you? Jesus never meant for us to go it alone. Christianity is definitely a team sport. So who could you get to know better? Ask them over for dinner. Find some way to serve together. Take your friendships just a little bit deeper so you can experience the kind of freedom that comes from authentic Christian community so that when you hear someone say, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, your heart leaps for joy because you know that bodes well for your future, for your joy, and for your soul. Who is God inviting you to do life together with? So Jesus, thank you that you work relationally. Lord, thank you that you change us through the power of your Holy Spirit and through each other. And pray that as a church, we can become more of a community in a culture that is working against community all the time. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.